This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and it's our 600th episode. Yes, and so we're going to do this episode like the seasoned professionals that we are. That's right. Seasoned to taste. Yeah, we are nothing but professional, as you know, because you, listener, have been here for, I don't know, maybe 600 episodes. Yeah, I know. All of our listeners have been here since episode one. We don't even allow new (laughs) listeners. We're very exclusive. Yeah. We're like a gated community of podcasts. Congratulations on making it in to the exclusive audience of the 600. Yeah, episode. do not lose your membership card because we charge a thousand dollars to replace it. That's right. Uh, so happy 600 to everyone. What What do you think we should do for episode 1,000? Well, I mean, should we say what we're doing for episode 600? Oh, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> okay, so uh, we decided, perhaps actually Watzel suggested it. I think she did that we would have champagne for our 600th episode, and not um, just that, also talk about. Champagne. Also talk about champagne. And here's the thing. Here's the really good news for us. I mean, not, not for you guys, because you never get to eat what we're having. But right after we tape this episode, we're taping a pizza rolls episode. Which you will get to listen to. Which you'll get to week. listen to. But so to celebrate our 600th episode, what we're really doing is we're eating champagne. I mean, we're <laughs> drinking champagne and eating pizza rolls. Yeah, no, like uh, this, this champagne, it's got, it's got a subtle bouquet. It's got, it's got a very chewy gummy texture. (laughs) I think for episode 1000, didn't you suggest that we eat people? (laughs) I think I did. Okay. So listeners, hold this to it. Is that a reflection of the likelihood of us making it to episode 1000? Or what was that? I think maybe it's the likelihood of like us us living in like a true dystopian (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, post-apocalyptic society. Where all there will be to eat is, I don't know, like... I think I said we should eat Soylent, but not like the the entrepreneurial like tech bro Soylent that's an actual product, but the one from the movie that's made from people. Oh, okay. I I haven't seen the movie. I have seen the movie. It is very dull. And then at the end, he yells, Soylent Green is people. And uh, that's what you're supposed to take away from it. Oh, that's what it means? Yeah. I thought it means Soylent Green is people. Like, Soylent Green is like your friend. It's not your friend. <laughs> it's it's it, You ate your friend. Oh. oh, wow. But I mean, it that 
it might be nutritious. Okay, well, if things keep going the way they've been going, <laughs> that's we'll be eating our friends. We'll be eating each other. Okay. Um, for our our one hundredth episode. For our one hundredth episode. <laughs> if you go back and listen to episode one hundred, Molly and I ate each other. <laughs> okay, but no, really, um, Matthew. <laughs> no, let's, let's get serious. <laughs> let's. It's time this show finally grew up. Let's talk about champagne. Is there any champagne on your memory lane? There is. I definitely don't remember the first time I had champagne, although I think it was probably like in my early teens, maybe like, you know, my my parents were were of the like, let let the kids have a sip. Yeah. Uh, kind of kind of approach. And would you have hated it then? No. No, you I think liked I it? I would have liked it. Okay. My parents were also of the let the kids have a sip approach. And I remember, I remember, I think, tasting beer more than I remember tasting wine. Yeah. No, my dad would definitely give me a sip of, we, we talked about this before, that uh, that he really liked a, a now discontinued beer called Watney's Red Barrel. And that's the, the beer I remember getting a taste of. That is such a good dad name. Isn't it? Beer. Yeah. Watney's Red Barrel. Okay, but anyway, I'm pretty sure that I would have also tasted champagne under the same circumstances that you did. You know, my dad, as everyone knows, uh, is the founder of Altoids. Yes. Back in the 1800s or something? I think 1700s. 1700s. He also is an endive man. Yep. He was also something else, but he also <laughs> was somebody who he really like believed. My dad was a, a kind of a hedonist, I would say. Ooh. He believed in, you know, ordering foie gras whenever it's on the menu. I mean, this is also like sure. a, a symbol of my father's class. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, anyway, he believed in ordering foie gras when it was, uh, whenever it was on the menu. Sweet bread. I believe, uh, as as, a, as an indicator of class, <laughs> in ordering foie gras whenever it's on the Wendy's four for four. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, we've we've fallen, <laughs> we've fallen from grace. My dad also believed in like drinking the good stuff. Yeah, I think my dad also. I mean, I he. Almost certainly was the kind of guy who had a beer or a glass of wine with dinner every night. But it was never like it was always something that he was happy to be drinking that was interesting in flavor. And champagne was like there was no occasion too small. Oh, sure. Do you would this be a good time to pretend that we didn't already open the bottle and start drinking it? Oh, very good. Yeah, that's <laughs> that the, the classic sound, sound of, a, of a champagne bottle opening with the triple pop. <laughs> Or did you just open three bottles? <laughs> what? Ash has this thing that they do where they can make their lips pop really well. Okay. And they'll come up behind me and they'll go. Oh, that was good. But they're saying babe. They're going. Oh, oh. Babe. It's kind of disturbing. <laughs> it's kind of disturbing. Um, this is our mating ritual. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, champagne. It it was going around. Okay, and that's our episode. <laughs> that's our episode. Um, one other specific champagne memory lane I have is that in 2000, wife of the show, Lori, and I went to Paris for the first and only time in our lives. Mm-hmm. And we went to, I believe this was at La Regalade. Uh, A uh, a famous bistro that might still be in business in Paris. And the champagne that was on the menu was Krug Grand Cuvée, Mm. which is like a really fancy champagne Mm -hmm. available by the glass. Mm -hmm. And so we, of course, ordered like the fancy champagne. And I think she also had like blini with caviar. And she was like, I'm in Paris. I'm drinking champagne. And with caviar, this is the best. Oh, 
I love that. Watzel wins yet again. Yeah. Uh, so during the years that I co-owned Delancey, one of the the best things about it was, you know, because we would have wine reps who came by and we had a number of different distributors who we uh, supplied our menu from. We would get to taste these really fantastic champagnes that otherwise are really hard to find on the market unless yeah. you have a great wine shop near you. And then we could buy them at like wholesale prices. Nice. So, uh, you know, for the for the price of like a low end champagne at the grocery store, we could buy like a grower's champagne, something yes. made by like a small producer. And uh, which I believe is what we're what we're drinking today. I think so too. I was really I, I was aware of how lucky I was in that era, and I, I guess I could probably still order those things through Delancey, but I don't tend to. Well, let me let me like uh, skip ahead a little bit because the the champagne we're drinking is is uh, from uh, Louis Armand. Mm. Um, it's a non vintage brute champagne. And uh, I got it at European Vine Selections, which is a wonderful little tiny wine store on 15th Avenue East in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And so this was a champagne that Lori and I had on New Year's Eve because for no reason on New Year's Eve this year, we were like, you know what we haven't done in like a decade is drink champagne on New Year's Eve. Let's go to our local wine store and get some champagne. So we picked out this bottle, mostly because it had a nice looking label. It has a very pretty and label. And I was delighted. I mean, it, it was delicious, of it's course. It's very good. But also I was delighted to, to find that like I knew that like when I started getting interested in food that like a basic bottle of champagne from like the grocery store was like $30. That's right. And I was delighted that this bottle was like $36. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. That's that fantastic. Um, and they have like some some nice like vintage champagnes there that are like $55 or $65. So like it's still, you but know, you it's can, not cheap. You can but easily spend that amount on a bottle of like a larger production absolutely. champagne at the grocery store. Yeah. Well, very cool. So would you like to learn about uh, the history and production of champagne? I would. Please say yes, because yes. I did so much research. Yes. And I have to say, too, that this is an episode that I think kind of like um, like maybe whiskey and coffee. We might have had this on our like to-do list for a very long time. Oh, yeah, did we? probably. Uh, but I have always felt daunted by doing an episode on a product like this that has so many people out there who know like way more and oh, have absolutely. tasted way more than we have. So uh, I, I'm really glad you did the research on this and I can just sit back and uh, and sip my champagne. Yeah. OK. So like if I get anything wrong, just go to go to everything and post on the thread about this episode. Yes. Oh, wait. And so are we talking about we're talking about champagne as in like of the designation? Yeah. So the word champagne, like there's like a minor level of controversy about like what you can and can't call champagne we're sticking with like the you know technically it's an AOC and uh, appellation d'origine contrôlée which means that the French government has or is it the government or like commercial organization anyway there are very specific rules about like where it can be made only in the northeast corner of France like which grapes you can use and uh, like the method for producing the wine and anything outside of that region or outside of those methods, like they come after you if you try and call it champagne. Obviously, there are really good sparkling wines sure. produced all over the world. So any any sparkling wine that is not made in that region might be called a cremant, at mm -hmm. least a, a French sparkling wine uh, made oh, outside of We'll talk of about, about uh, a specific cremant during the history section. Oh, God. Oh, let me loose. Let's do this. Okay. So... 
let's talk about the history of champagne. So I started by pulling up not just the the champagne Wikipedia article, but the history of champagne Wikipedia article. <laughs> and oh shit, this article is 6,000 words long. So oh initially I was like, I am too lazy to read this. Let's just pretend it was invented in 1979 <laughs> by Marie-Francoise Champagne or by your dad. Yeah, um, my dad. But, you know, actually, like, it's kind of interesting. So according to Wikipedia, (laughs) so yeah, so first I read this. The history of Champagne began when the Romans planted vineyards in this region of northeast France in the 5th century or possibly earlier. And I was like, kill me now. Yeah. But until the 17th century, Champagne was a white or rosé still wine made from Pinot Noir grapes. Interesting. Okay. So not fizzy. So it did not yet have the uh, the méthode champenoise going on. Right. So, okay. you know, around like, you know, the mid, like the 15, 1600s, Burgundy wine and particularly red Burgundy was getting really popular and well known and getting a reputation as like the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's like south of the Champagne region. And so winemakers. That would be the Loire Valley. Yes. Winemakers okay. in the Champagne regions were like, we want to make a like a great red wine like Burgundy. And they tried and it went really badly Mm. because the Champagne region is colder than Burgundy. So what would happen is they would like, you know, pick these super ripe ripe grapes. They would, uh, you know, put them in a vat to squeeze the juice, put them in a vat to ferment, and they would ferment for a while until it got too cold. And then the yeast would go dormant. And then in spring, Mm. it would wake up and start fermenting again (laughs) and uh, produce like fizzy wine. They did not like this. Okay. Oh, oh, and worse than that, so they would bottle the wine in the fall. The yeast would wake up in the bottle and start fermenting, and the bottles would explode. Okay. So, uh, you know, first of all, exploding bottles, not very good for business. And when the bottles survived, they were the wine was full of bubbles, and people were like, gross, who wants bubbles in your wine? Yeah. This is real. Okay. Um, And and so uh, who came along and said, no, no, you want bubbles in your wine? So it wasn't one person. So Dom Perignon, who was a monk, is often credited as the inventor of champagne. So hold on. Was his name Dom as in like short for Dominic? It was, uh, yeah, he was was, was named after Dom Toretto from the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, okay. I think Dom is like a a title for a monk. I think he had a different first name. Let's let's say. uh, He was a Dom. He was he was a dom and uh, like he worked with some subs. Okay. Um, he worked at a sub shop. Okay, and so and he be- then became the inventor inventor of champagne because champagne goes really well with subs. Exactly. Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, as well as pizza rolls. So. Uh, I kind of guess that probably it was apocryphal that one guy invented champagne, but it's even more interesting than that because he was, you know, a wine, like a, what, what do you call like a, an enologist, but he was working to get the bubbles out of, of uh, wines produced oh. in the champagne region because they okay. were considered a defect. But, you know, at the same time, they were like, okay, we've got this bubbly wine, we got to sell it, and people liked it. I have a question. Yes. So was it still red or were they like removing the skins by this point? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Okay. The bubbly wine became popular in England first and then in France when it when it became the favorite drink of Philippe II, who became regent in 1715. What's the difference between regent and king? Oh, don't know. No, Do you know? no. That, yeah, the regent is... Isn't the regent... 
like someone who rules is that when they're like too young to when be king? there's like when the king is too young the regent oh, is oh, sort so of the, the opposite. okay yeah, yeah i yeah. think so the regent is the one who actually does the ruling okay that makes sense i um, i can't believe that you're trusting me on this i i like we've been together for 600 years at this point <laughs> i trust you on everything okay um <laughs> Okay, but so were the bottles still exploding, though? Like, this seems like a very uncontrolled experiment that people happen to like. Yeah, so uh, exploding bottles continue to be a big problem, um, which made champagne very expensive and inconsistent. So they were selling it as a sparkling wine now, but having trouble making it in quantity. And uh, this was solved in the early 19th century through the development of better bottle technology in England, mostly like thicker bottles with like a big punt in the bottom. I always wondered about the the divot in the bottom. Yeah, the this divot. Is, this serves it's, a it's, purpose? It serves two purposes. So it makes the it makes the bottle stronger and it makes it easier to rotate the bottle, which is a, which is a little spoiler. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll sit tight. The modern méthode champenoise, uh, which is the procedure that is used to produce champagne to this day, was developed at the Veuve Clicquot Winery under the direction of uh, someone with an excellent name, Barbe Nicole Ponsardin Veuve Clicquot, meaning Widow Clicquot. Oh, she really, there really was a widow. There really was a Veuve Clicquot, and she really was involved in producing champagne in the modern style. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So what is this méthode champenoise, and can we talk about it for the next 37 minutes, you may be wondering. Yes, let's try. Because here's the thing. I mean, méthode champenoise is used in in the production of all kinds of sparkling wines. Yes. Now, the French authorities would prefer that if you're making it outside of the Champagne region, you call it méthode traditionnelle, whatever. Uh, okay. okay, so méthode champenoise is a wild and expensive way of making wine. It is better than having a cellar full of broken glass, and it produces great results, but it takes tons of time and labor, as okay. you will see. Okay. Okay, so first you make a base wine. The base wine is a, uh, a very acidic white wine that's fermented in a vat with the gas allowed to escape, so it's not a sparkling wine. Okay. Uh, and it is not good to drink by itself because uh, it's super, super, super dry. Oh, remember I said earlier they were having trouble fermenting the wine dry because mm-hmm. it was too cold? Mm-hmm. They realized that uh, they could solve this by picking the grapes earlier so they have less sugar. Ah, okay, okay. Um, and- so they would complete fermentation more quickly? Right. So before okay. before it gets too cold and stops the fermentation. Got it. And then you blend this wine, uh, the base wine, with wine from other vintages and other grape pressings to produce your house style. So uh, like mm. you want, if you're a champagne house, you want your non-vintage champagne to taste the same year after year. And you do that by blending. And the people who are in charge of blending are considered highly skilled. Well, hold on. What do you mean by a non-vintage champagne? Oh, okay. So the vast majority of the champagne that is sold is non-vintage champagne, meaning it's not made with just the grapes of a particular year. Oh, which so this, is why it doesn't usually have a, a right. date on it. So this this uh, Louis Armand champagne we're drinking now is non-vintage. It's usually, it's blended from like at least three years of, of harvest, but it can be more. Okay. Some years when there's a really good harvest, they will make a vintage champagne, which is in French called a millésime. Oh, I've seen that. Um, and that's sold at a much higher price, of course, and considered like a, a premium product. Because it would be more difficult, I guess, to get the kind of flavor that they're looking for, a balanced flavor using only grapes from yeah. that harvest. Okay. And, and it's supposed that one's supposed to be it's supposed to both represent the house style and be unique to that year. So, okay. yeah, okay. I don't think I've ever 
had a vintage champagne, honestly. If I did, I think I didn't know that was what I was drinking, and right. I certainly didn't do it justice. Yep. So uh, the wine grapes used in champagne are almost exclusively three grapes, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, and Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. The first two are red grapes, but they, they press the juice and take the skins away before it turns red. Okay. Uh, so now you've got this uh, this base blended base wine that is not very good to drink. And you bottle it along with a little bit of yeast and sugar to produce a secondary fermentation. In the bottle. In the bottle. Uh, And you put a cap on it so that it will carbonate. And the the temporary cap is just a beer bottle cap in most cases. Okay. And you store it on its side in a wine cellar for at least 15 months and up to eight years. And I think for a vintage champagne, it has to be at least three years. So, like, I don't know, like, if there was, like, if there's, like, vintage 2023 champagne. But if there is, it's not going to be available to like 2027 or later. I wonder how they know when it's quote unquote ready. Mm. Because I mean, well, I guess they can just I think pop open the pop bottle one open and, and, and a special at a taster who who knows what to look for, like sticks his tongue in the bottle. It's mm. real gross. Mm-hmm. It's like, what was the thing that I was eating that you that you were like, I can't watch you do that? Grapefruit. Oh, uh, um something where I was really sticking my tongue in it. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I've blocked it out. Okay, yeah. Listeners, what was what was that episode where, where I was doing something lascivious to a food? Okay, wait, but I have a question yeah, now, yeah. Matthew. So we've got this blended wine, a little bit of yeast, a little bit of sugar in the bottle with a cap on it. And I mean, the yeast, doesn't it, isn't it cloudy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of the way yeast looks when I add water to it, right? Yeah. It becomes this like milky stuff. Yeah, that's what's that's what's in your wine. That is not what people want. Unless they're buying natural wines. Unless they're buying natural wines. Yeah, like there's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with a cloudy wine. It's not, it's not poisonous and it's not bad to drink if it's well made, but it's not the preference of people who are buying champagne. Okay. So now it gets... <laughs> now it gets weird. So you remember you asked about the punt, the the uh, indentation at the bottom of the bottle? Yeah. So they take these bottles that are now fully fermented and transfer them to a different type of wine rack called a pupitre, which means like, is that like a pew? Mm, maybe. Like a, or like maybe. a pulpit? I'm not sure. Okay. I feel this was a this was a word that I remember learning in French class and never using. Would you like me to look it up? Could you please look it up? Maybe it's like P- it's like a school desk. It's, it's something. It seems like I, I'm going to go with pulpit, but let me find out. Desk. It's a desk. It's a school desk. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. All right, so we're sitting in our pupitres. This rack can also be a lectern. Great, yeah. So they put the they put the bottles on a lectern and they give a and they give a TED talk. The bottles are pointing down at like a thirty degree angle and. Now begins the riddling, a.k.a. the remouage in French. Oh, so having something to do with mixing. Yes. So once a day, someone who has a terrible job goes into the cellar and gives all the bottles a turn by hand and lets them kind of thunk back into the rack and also adjusts the angle of the rack so they point a little more downward. This goes on for eight to ten weeks, and the goal is to get all of that cloudy yeast goop, which is called lees, L-E-E-S, to condense in the very mouth of the bottle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what I want you to say now is that the lees somehow solidify and become the cork. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yes. That's that's exactly what happens. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, when a when a bottle Great. is corked, it means that that the uh, lees that the lees have solidified. Right. Okay. Unfortunately, no. This does not have to be done by hand. Thank God. So uh, it's still done by hand for high end champagnes. Like some some poor uh, employee comes in and that I really hope they're unionized and they turn all of the bottles every day. But nowadays, for the champagne that we're drinking and all others except for super fancy expensive ones, get riddled using a machine called a giropal. Mm. Or gyro palette. Okay. And it can riddle, uh, like, so So it does the turning and the adjusting of angles. And how long does, does it still go on for eight to 10 weeks? No, now I can do this in a few days. If you look at a, if you look at a picture or a video of this, it's like you put a whole palette of, of wine onto, like, a goofy machine that holds it at an angle and kind of bounces it like an amusement park ride. Okay. Okay. So, so we should, we should, like, get one get one that and like fun. ride in it okay right and that was invented in the late 60s so before that was okay. all done by hand this episode is brought to you by town place suites by marriott whether you're traveling for work need a place to stay while your home is being remodeled or maybe you're just enjoying a relaxing week away well town place suites by marriott has all the comforts of home yeah so they've got a full kitchen uh, they've got you can borrow appliances like if you want a blender or a slow cooker while you're traveling you can borrow it no charge uh-huh so like you could invite your friends or your coworkers over for like a post meeting drink you can bring your pet you, totally allowed. Oh, I love this. Oh, I see. They even have special pet items you yep. can use. And they have the built-in Alpha closet system. Nothing makes me happier <laughs> when I am traveling and I have like a place to put away my clothes. Mm-hmm. Molly has seen what happens when I don't have a place to put away my clothes. Nobody wants to see nobody, that. Nobody. Yeah. So like a whole closet system where I can really like unpack for reals. I am down. Well, this is made for you then. And this is Town Place Suites by Marriott. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass is the website that takes you from that thing you've always wanted to learn to learning that thing. Well, and you can learn it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. Oh, come on. Really the best in the world? Yeah. Like, remember I watched those videos with uh, with Steph Curry on, like, you know, how to have proper, like, basketball shooting form and That's stuff. That's right. You And you have been sinking so many threes <laughs> since then. It's ridiculous. I just can't stop. Um, okay. Well, I took a class with Hans Zimmer, film composer. Maybe you've heard of <laughs> movies such as The Lion King. Mm. Maybe you've heard of Gladiator. Yep. The Dark Knight. Dune. He did all of those. I loved And Dune. now he's teaching me how to do it. Like the art of making Has people feel to things to, to teach me. Yeah. Yeah, because because I've got a master class subscription. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, Matthew, I also hear that if you want to take a class, say, from like Alice Waters or Thomas Keller or even like Yotam Orolengi, yeah. you can get essentially what are like private lessons. Now, granted, they're 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 on masterclass. Yes. But private lessons he from did, right. these people. Right. doesn't come to your house, That's but right. virtually he does. That's right. So masterclass makes all of this possible and you get unlimited access to the very world's best teachers. And you will get 15% off an annual membership right now at masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15.
So let's let's pause and, okay. and have a drink because <laughs> this method of, of making champagne not done yet. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. So nice. Okay, so now you have the, the a plug of yeast in the mouth of the bottle. Yum, yum, yum. And unfortunately, it does not automatically turn into a cork. So how do you get it out without just mixing it back in? And it used to be done manually, essentially using surgical extraction. Wow. So like there were people who were, who were tr- highly trained to get the yeast plug out without stirring it back into the wine. Wow. Okay. But nowadays and for quite a while, it's done by freezing the neck of the bottle and then popping the cap off so that the frozen plug shoots out. And then do they like quickly recap it? Yes, yeah, sort of. We'll get okay, there. Okay, okay. Um, so the bottles travel standing up along a conveyor belt and okay. freezing liquid is sprayed onto the top. So that like the top of the bottle freezes. And then their warts are removed. And then the wart and then the wart is just like like popped off. And then it <laughs> inevitably grows back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Great. Okay. So wait, then they're laid out on their sides. They're laid out on their sides and, and a machine with like like a several bottle openers on it pops the, the, the like bottle caps off and the wine shoots out in a very like ejaculatory way. Um, I watched I watched a video called The Moment of Disgorgement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I uh, see you didn't link to it here. Um, I should, yeah. Okay. okay. Um, it, <laughs> or is it, is it like, is it a home video? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an amateur video. <laughs> um, I, to be honest, the, the video, there was a video called The Moment of Disgorgement. It was mostly like a guy talking about wine. And then I found another one with a boring title that actually showed the, the spewing. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, we'll link to that. Uh, so now what you have is a mostly full bottle of wine, which is just <laughs> what you want to buy at the store, right? Yeah. So now uh, they add the dosage. Okay. That is a mixture of more base wine, sugar, and sulfur dioxide as a preservative. Very small amounts of sugar and sulfur dioxide, especially if you're making a brute champagne, which is a dry style. Uh, so for, for that style of champagne, which is the most popular, a tiny amount of sugar is used. There's a style called um, Bru Nature that has no sugar in the dosage if you're really hardcore. And then, of course, there's like, uh, you know, Demi Sec, I think, is the second most popular, which mm-hmm. is like a, a lightly sweet champagne. So okay. more sugar is added. Okay. Then they put in the cork and, and put that cage on top. And now you are actually done. Wow. Okay. Woo! Wow. It's no wonder, you know, uh, like actual champagne is as expensive as it is. Yeah. If I'm going to pause to be and put this bottle this in the fridge because I don't, I don't want it to like Okay, I'm going to have flat a t- I'm yeah, just going to have a tiny And then bit I want to get it back out when we have pizza rolls in a minute. Okay, there we go. Wow. Fascinating, Matthew. Ah, I see. You do have a nice champagne cork there. Excellent. So was this style of wine, was it invented there in Champagne? Well, the Champagne people would like you to think so, but probably not. Uh, historians tend to think it was invented in Limoux in Languedoc, where uh, Blanquette de Limoux and Clément de Limoux are made. And uh, to this day, that would have been like in the 16th century. Wow. Um, but the method was refined and codified in the Champagne region. I think Brandon and I served a Cremant de Limoux at our wedding. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's no, delicious. It, it can be great. Like like Spanish cava's can be great. Mm-hmm. You know, sparkling wines in the champagne style from Australia or California could be great. Is prosecco made using the méthode champenoise? I believe it is not. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is because it's too cheap to be okay. the, the, typically. There may be some proseccos made that way, but like to you really use the méthode champenoise, you are producing at least like a thirty dollar bottle of wine. Okay, maybe maybe you could like get it down to like you know twenty six dollars if. You're not importing it, but, uh, but why did kava, I say twenty six dollars? I have no idea. Kava is is made or like some, true kava? Yeah. Okay. So some some kavas like if you're if you're getting like a seven dollar kava, no, it's not. But okay. uh, but there are Spanish kavas made in the champagne style. So is kava? Not, I know you didn't do research into kava, but we, is yeah, kava, we're doing a kava episode is, uh, for episode one thousand. Is does kava have like a, a DOC or an AOC kind of thing? Uh, I mean, th- there definitely Whatever. is like a like a controlled appellation program in Spain, but I don't know like if, if just Kava without some other qualifier fits with that. Yeah. Okay. So how does rosé champagne happen? Like, is it basically the same grapes? They just leave the the skins longer? That is one way of making it. And that is like the fancy expensive way. Okay. Most commonly, if you're buying like a regular priced rosé champagne, they've just mixed a little bit of red wine into the base wine that still has to be produced in champagne in the champagne region. Okay. So hold on. Oh, I see. Now you're going to talk about Blanc de Blanc and uh, Noir de Noir. Can you say Blanc uh, de Blanc again? Blanc de Blanc. That's kind of hard to say. Blanc de Noir. Blanc de Blanc. Uh, Blanc So uh, Blanc de Blanc, there's there's, several several special kinds of champagne. There's rosé. There's Blanc de Blanc is champagne produced from all Chardonnay grapes. Hmm. Uh, Blanc de Noir is champagne produced from all Pinot Noir grapes. I'm not really sure like how you would decide that one of those is the thing you want. I guess if you really know what wine tastes like or if or if like I feel like so much about champagne in particular is like whatever makes you feel fancy in the way you want to feel fancy. I think that for most of us in the States, because uh, champagne is such a special occasion thing. And because we don't actually have that many choices. Right. So if you go to the store and you're like really wanting to shell out or to impress somebody, you're going to get your like Veuve Clicquot or whatever. And you're not going to pay attention to whether it's Blanc de Noir or whatever. Like we, I think, are looking at just the name. Yeah, I think so. Although they do they do sell some of the special types, like even at QFC near me, I think. Yeah. I mean, yes, I'm sure you're right. But I think that, yeah, it would be really interesting to, to see how different it would be. I see, I see where you're going with this. Like, uh, you, you wanted me to spend the show's money on like a tasting of like seven champagnes. That's exactly right. Great. Okay. The more premium, the better. Like mm-hmm. Cristal all the way. Mm-hmm. We talked about vintage champagne, uh, Millesime. There's then most champagne houses will have a prestige cuvee, which is their fancy top of the line one, like Dom Perignon, which is made by Moet de Chandon. Cristal, uh, which is made by Roderay. Louis. I've never known how yeah. to pronounce that. <laughs> or Krug uh, Grand Cuvee, which is the one that Laurie and I had in, in Paris because mm-hmm. we're fancy. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, this one we had today, like, I feel like when I when I went to, like, try and learn more about the champagne that we're drinking right now, the Louis Armand, uh, I found that they had a really shitty website that made me feel really good about drinking it. Yeah, no, I think that that <laughs> seems right for, yeah. like, a, a smaller production champagne. Like, yeah, that's what like I'm the, after. The I want a bad ones, website. Like, like uh, you know, Moët et Chandon is, is owned by uh, LVMH, which is, like, a gigantic international yes. liquor conglomerate. And they have a fantastic website because they have, like, gobs of money to hire like webmasters and stuff and uh you know this like small producer probably does not that is correct so here's here's a question for you okay i remember being told at some point maybe when i was like at some point in my 20s i remember being told oh man champagne will give you a wicked hangover have you ever i mean i know neither you nor i have probably had many hangovers in our lives because we don't party very much right (laughs) Do you like how I use party like a, as yeah, a verb? I, like I don't do that very often. Yeah, we're, we're young people who love to party, <laughs> but in our own way. I rage. Yes. Um, anyway. I remember, remember when I went to that Brahms and Radiohead symphony show? Yeah. Party. I thought you meant Brahms the ice cream store. Yeah, remember when I went to, that's how I, I party with the, like by Borgs. pounding malts. <laughs> Anyway, were you ever told this kind of thing about champagne? Were you- I, I have heard that. Like, I don't I honestly don't know how much truth there is to the idea that like certain types of, of beverages will give you a worse or better hangover. I mean, I, yeah, I, I wonder if what was actually said to me was something having to do with cheap champagne. But then again, I don't really I don't know what difference it would make, because isn't it alcohol and, and alcohol? My, my <laughs> guess is like champagne in general and cheap champagne, like it's easy to drink. Like you're going to drink more of it than you intended to pretty easily, probably. And that will give you a worse hangover for sure. I wonder if one of our listeners who parties would get, <laughs> would get in touch with us and let us know. We're, weirdly, we haven't gotten any emails from, from that, that listener yet. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But but yeah, listener who parties, please get in touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I have a question for you. Have you ever opened a bottle of champagne with a sword or smashed one over the bow of a ship okay i have done neither i think i learned about really i think i, I do th- that like i do that once a week i think that uh i learned about wine being smashed over the bow of a ship maybe from watching the crown oh really when, like when uh queen elizabeth's uh like personal ship was <laughs> <laughs> when you said personal, I was imagining a person like, you know, her personal trainer or, or like her courtier or something. With her it showed up mid afternoon sit ups. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, what I was going to say is I, I seem to recall there's like sort of like a, a sepia toned thing where she's like giving a speech from the prow, the bow of the boat. What is the difference between the prow and the bow? <laughs> I don't either. Anyway, we are and then they, certified ship and then experts. They, then they break a bottle against the side, which is how they christen like a new ship that's heading out on right. its first voyage or that's being prepared for its first voyage. Do they right? have to wear goggles? It seems like that would be like there <laughs> really would be a real dangerous. danger of eye injuries. Hold on, but I I, I do want to talk about opening a bottle of champagne with, champagne with a sword. Yes, or with like a a, a knife, which is often called sabering. Mm-hmm. 
so Matthew, before we turned on the recording for this episode, I said to you, it seems like people who are into food and who are Insta- who are on Instagram always like post a video of themselves sh- like sabering a bottle of champagne oh my God. on a fancy occasion. I just now am realizing that you said sabering and not savoring. No, savoring. I thought you were saying over and over that they posted a- themselves savoring champagne. I'm like, no, what are you talking saber. about? That sounds so boring. Sabering. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So no, like, now I'm on board. That's it, on, I'm on board the ship. No, it sounds I've cool. I always thought this was so dumb. What is the big deal? Why do I need to cut off the like glands penis of the, <laughs> the, the champagne bottle? Oh, wow, I was totally into like this until just now. That's, that's, that's totally like what it is. What yeah. part it is. Why do I need to do that with well, a knife in order to truly have a good time? I mean, for to, to remove the yeast plug, first of all. No. Um, I, I, I mean... But you've seen this too, I've, haven't you? I've seen you? this done. I mean, of course it's dumb. Like, I don't think it's anyone so doing dumb. it thinks it's smart. Like, you know, because everything involving champagne is is like is is like silly, silly, or, or like overly traditional in some way. So last night, Ash and I started the latest season of Selling Sunset, which is mm-hmm. one of of two reality shows that I've enjoyed in my life. The other being Love, love is Blind. Oh, Love Blind. Love Blind. Bl- love. <laughs> Love Blindland. <laughs> I yeah, know, I know you did island. watch some Love Island. There's this little island between Greenland and Iceland mm-hmm. called Blindland. <laughs> okay. And that's where they record this show. Uh, no, I've watched a little bit of Love Island. Yeah, the, the latest season of Selling Sunset uh, came out uh, the day before or a few days ago. And <laughs> Great. And whatever. <laughs> and last night, my spouse and I were like, let's eat dinner and watch some truly stupid television. And in it, there was a like a character who sabered a bottle of champagne. Of and I was just like, of course, of course, if we're watching Selling Sunset, somebody's going to saber a bottle of champagne. I feel like I detect just a hint of jealousy. No, <laughs> I don't. Like I, I think if we go into your red carpeted love dungeon, which I know has been converted <sighs> into a home office, there's a saber in the closet. Fine. And you're going to claim it's just for your fencing practice, but we know that it's it's no, like that's my AP. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you choose the wrong kind of sword, if for, it, like you if you choose like the floppy that, one, yeah, <laughs> for your for your champagne opening, it's so embarrassing. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I I think it's I think it's like just dumb. Well, I think it's cool. So there. Uh, have you ever <sighs> had champagne and caviar? I think the only time I ever had was the time I tasted some of. Uh, Wife of the show, Lori's Blini with caviar in Paris. Matthew, I feel like there are moments in this show oh, no. when it, we bump up against you, like you've had it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> so you like, had it so for breakfast. <laughs> I did today, actually. <laughs> yeah. So so okay, great. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, should we should we move on to segments? Do we have anything else to say about oh, champagne? I yep. think we should say so, Matthew. I see that you have champagne flutes. Oh, of course. Okay, and and you're somebody who, by your own admission, you don't drink champagne very often. So how did these come into your world? Do you think it's important to drink champagne out of a flute? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I think nothing is more important. 
Um, I believe we got these like when we bought some champagne like 10 years ago or something and probably got them at QFC and they were probably like $2 each. Okay. And we only own two of them. I don't know. Like, isn't this like something that wine people debate? Like, what's the best shape of wine glass for champagne or for like other types of wines? Who cares? It depends on like how it it has to do with like how long you want your bubbles to last in it or whatever. Or do you want like more, more like bouquet to, Mm -hmm. to erupt? I don't know. Pretty much every every like wine glass of any type I have ever had either came from Brandon Pettit finding it at Goodwill. Of course. Or from being like, it was like a hand-me-down from the restaurant when we broke enough of them that we had to like totally resupply our wine glasses and would often switch styles. Sure. So I don't have champagne flutes. I have coupes. Okay. Yeah. That's the that's the other kind. That's the kind. other kind. Yeah. And like, is it gonna taste bad out of one of them and good out of the other one? No. Who no. cares? That's correct. I feel the same way. <laughs> right. My mother has ridiculous champagne flutes. Ooh. They're so tall and they're like they're crystal and they've got like these Ooh, okay. deep grooves into carved into the side. I mean, they are it's over the top. Did she carve them by hand? She did. Good. Yeah. All right. So I think uh, I think we've done champagne and uh, so. next week. Prosecco. We probably should do a Prosecco episode sometime. It's very popular. And maybe there are things we could learn about it, too. Sure. Okay. Okay. I have a beak of the week. You do? Yes. Okay. Okay. I have to go get my laptop because this is the most ridiculous bird I've ever seen. You've got sharp claws so you can perch up high. You've got those wings because they help you fly. You're such an interesting bird. It's beak of the week. Molly, have you ever heard of a type of bird called a nightjar? No. I hadn't either until the other day. A nightjar is sort of, it's, it's a nocturnal bird that feeds on insects. So it's sort of like an owl and sort of like a bat, but also shaped kind of like a regular like sparrow crow kind of bird. You know, it, what, what I think of when you say nightjar is I think of the night hob from The NeverEnding Story probably related so okay <laughs> night jars are these are these weird like they're, they're like you know when you when they go into a cave and they're like these are all like the weird organisms that live in yes. caves and they don't have eyes and they're and they're like you know all drab colored because they live in caves yes um that's what night jars are like they only come out at night they have jaws that open super wide because they fly through the air and eat insects in flight okay okay so let me introduce you to the standard wing to night jar what is this it looks <laughs> Looks like it is sporting, uh, I don't know, like weird hair extensions. Yeah. Okay. So most night jars look sort of just kind of like a gray lump. This one looks like a gray lump that has sprouted these gigantic feathers for like mating. Like this is the male and this is this is like mating season and it grows these enormous feathers that are the size of peacock feathers. Like the bird is like is like seven inches long and the feathers are 15 inches long. Yeah. It looks like it has some sort of like a growth hormone problem just in these two feathers. And most of the feathers is like just like naked feather spine. It's like it's holding up two flags. <laughs> Hello? Like, right. And uh, so I, I absolutely have never seen a weirder bird in my life. And there are some weird birds so out there. I thought there. that the beak was going to be a lot bigger and more like crocodile-y. Yeah. this beak just looks like a little It does, but, but then it opens its mouth ridiculously wide. Can you find a picture I of it? I can find another night jar doing that. This, yeah, okay. I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, How did you come upon this? I've been, I've been like weirdly into birds lately. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Oh! <laughs> 
pretty scary, right? Wow, this is intense. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of cute, right? This one also is kind of like a cobra coming out of a basket, like yeah. in a, a Disney cartoon. Yeah, so I think I think of night jars as being like walruses because I love walruses because they're so ugly that they've gone all the way back around to being cute. Yeah. And and night jars are like that too. Do the feathers come off at the end of breeding season they and then do. they have to regrow them? Yeah. Okay. Wow, I um, love this. And so when, then when, when they fly, it looks like they're being pursued by bats. <laughs> um, okay. One other thing about the standard wing nightjar is that the Latin name is Caprimulgus longipennis. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like it. Um, it. says everything you need to know. Yeah, Caprimulgus means goat milker. And Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, I'm sorry. I, we, now we, we are really going to retire the segment because that was the weirdest bird. That was definitely the weirdest bird. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, Molly, do we have any spilled mail? We sure do. We have some spilled mail from listener Tom. Like many food people before me, I have wondered whether writing, reading, or podcasting about food would have put me in good stead for a restaurant chef. I'll always thank Anthony Bourdain for his words of wisdom in Medium Raw. If you're 32 years old and considering a career in professional kitchens, if you're wondering if perhaps you are too old, let me answer that question for you. Yes, you are too old. I think the year I read it, I was 33. Lucky escape. Thanks, Tony. Have either of you wanted to work in a professional kitchen? Why did you think you would have been good or bad? Cheers, Tom from London. I can answer this. No, never, because it looked like really hard work and I'm very lazy. I wanted to work in a professional kitchen. Uh, I wanted to be a pastry chef Mm -hmm. when I was like 20 in college. Through a friend of a friend, I got a summer internship just like two days a week at the restaurant Greens in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Famous restaurant. I very quickly learned that the repetitive nature of restaurant cooking and the precision required of it and also the grueling hours, the physical difficulty of being on your feet for that many hours uh, was really not for me. And I went in the absolute other direction until my then spouse decided he wanted to open a restaurant and I was 30 when we opened it and I worked just under the wire I guess yes I worked in the kitchen every night we were open for the first four months and I cried regularly I was filled with rage yeah (laughs) I hated it with every fiber of my being it is not uh you have to have a really like positive relationship to adrenaline. Oh yeah, I to don't. work in a restaurant kitchen. I do not. I don't like adrenaline. It's also it's so much more repetitive than you would think. I've always had a hard time understanding what would be so cool about being a chef. Well, I mean, it just seems. I mean, if you have have even like set foot in a restaurant, I think even as an intern, like I did, mm-hmm. I think right away you. I don't know. I mean, I think unless you're really drawn to hierarchical cultures. Yeah, which some people are, I think. Yeah. I I mean, I think that might be a a draw for some. Uh, But, oh, my God, it's just brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, you know, nothing but respect for for people who do it. Exactly. Um, No, I mean. um, At least the ones who aren't monsters. Yes. uh, No, I, I have nothing but respect for the people who are able to do it. 
and uh, do it with real longevity. Yeah, no, I I think it's great to have the experience of like trying something out and immediately realizing, okay, this is absolutely not the job for me. Like I had that same experience, but working in a biomedical research lab, Mm. I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna be a scientist. And I got that job like as of like the end of like day one, I'm like, I am not going to be a scientist. Uh, I had the same experience too. I, I was there for a whole summer. Uh, but, yeah, I think I made yeah. it like three months before yeah. I quit. Yeah. No, it's it becomes very clear right away. Like either you can hang with the pipetman's thumb right. or you exactly. cannot. I could not. But, you know, Tom, to answer the question of age, I do think that there's a reason why it tends to be a young person's game. Yeah. It is so physically demanding. Having and, said that. Yeah. Like friend of the show, Neil Robertson became a professional pastry chef. I think it is late 40s. And had a very, you know, worked in, in, in like major kitchens, like in, in Las Vegas, um, you know, trained in France, opened his own own pastry shop that was very successful and then retired. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think most people could do that. I think he's kind of a special case. Well, and I think, too, that I, I don't know. I, I don't know Neil as well as you do, but I imagine that maybe starting as late as he did meant that he already really had a sense of self. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so therefore maybe was able to weather some of the storms and pressures that would be True. harder for a younger person. So maybe in a way it did benefit him. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, Matthew, do you have a now but wow? Yeah, I have a quick now but wow. I mentioned this show back when I was watching it, but I've fa- been finding myself itching to rewatch Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha on Netflix, uh, which is it's a Korean drama about a dentist from Seoul who moves to a small coastal town. And uh, there's a romance. She falls in love, but also meets a whole bunch of lovable small town eccentrics. This show uh, has tons of amazing Korean food. It has some of the best cute kid acting you will ever see in your life. And the story is totally form- formulaic and doesn't really matter because really you just want to spend more time with these characters who you've come to appreciate. And did you watch it uh, with subtitles or is it dubbed? Uh, Your choice, but I think subtitles is better. The dubbing is not great. Yeah, great. Okay. So that's Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha on Netflix. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Please do. And uh, go ahead and uh, let us know what we got wrong about Champagne or what was the other thing we wanted to, people to tell us. Um, mm. Oh, if you're a party person. Oh, yeah. If you're a party person. I, well, I want to know. what. Do you think that different types of alcohol have like differing degrees of severity and yeah. hangovers? You know what we're going to get? We're going to get some people saying, yes, I think so. And other people saying, no, I don't That's think so. That's right. That's but exactly all, right. You're all party people. In our hearts, all of our listeners are party people. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I party. I party in, inside my heart. Okay. All right. Oh, and that would be at everythingspilledmilk.reddit.com is where you find the party people online. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much for making 600 episodes of this show with me. Thank you. You know what? You know what I would like to do now what? for our next adventure together is uh, record episode 601. Okay, here we go. Uh, I'm Matthew Amster Burton. I'm Molly Weisenberg. the show where we cook something delicious and you can't have any. Um, yeah, and we we, we made the slogan, uh, we edited it down to make it a little more concise for episode 600, not intentionally. Uh, okay. are, are you ready? 
Oh, oh yes. That was, that was anticlimactic. No, but it was nice. <laughs> okay, great. It was nice. I, okay. Wanted, I wanted it to fly across the cork to fly across the room, and it didn't. This is going great so far, don't you think? <laughs> this is going really well. Do you want to start over? Or? No, okay. I don't. Let's, let's drink a toast. Are we drinking this toast to... To spilled milk to all of our listeners... But okay, so what? Uh, uh, let's. Okay. <laughs> this is the, this is our best episode. Should we like, start over? Uh, Wait, do you want to start over? We've nailed it. You want to start over? <laughs> <laughs> I want to start over, but I want Abby to use all of this thus far <laughs> as the outtake. Okay, perfect. <laughs> That's going to be I'm our. I'm going to take off my episodes. shirt because I'm too. too hot. Yeah, me too. <laughs> if you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.